Hello there and welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. This is John Tefteller, your host. We are going through a 10-week exercise in escape. We are exercising our right to escape on the Good Old Days of Radio Show. And we are featuring that program, which uh, was a um, very interesting anthology-type series that lasted four or five years on CBS Radio back in the late 40s and early 50s. And we have a special guest who is helping me to know more about the show because I'm not as familiar with that one as I am Suspense and some of the other shows uh, for reasons I explained in the first podcast. So go listen to that. But in any case, um, today we have Keith Scott back with us from Australia. Keith is um, the, I call him the man of a thousand voices. He's the Mel, modern day Mel Blanc, uh, wrote a great book on cartoon voices and um, just an all-around great guy and a longtime collector of vintage radio shows. I think I've known Keith since the late 70s, somewhere in there. I don't know. It's been, been a long time. That's all I know. Uh, and here we are, still doing stuff uh, 50 years later or 40 years later, whatever it is. Anyway, welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show again, Keith. And what do we have for us today? Well, John, it's great uh, to be back. And uh, if the um, loyal listeners remember from last week, we had a, a story centered around uh, a railway station. And uh, this one today is um, the episode that followed straight on from that one. It was also a story uh, centered on trains. But this one is far more like uh, the Agatha Christie um, murder on the Orient Express. Uh, except for one thing, this is called Orient Express, uh, and that was the American title of a story by Graham Greene, the great British mystery writer. Graham Greene is uh, the one who wrote the screenplay for The Third Man, right? Yes, one yeah. of my favorite films. Uh, it's yeah, one of uh, my favorite films, too. I, if, uh, we'll just pause here to say, any of you young people listening out there who have never seen a movie from 1949 called The Third Man, um, you might want to, at my suggestion, go watch that just as fast as you can. It is just a stunning film. It holds up very, very well. Uh, the acting in it is superb. The story is superb. And, of course, Graham Greene, here we are, uh, the writer of that film, doing an episode of Escape. Yeah, he was um, a great uh, mystery author. And uh, I I know this, this was uh, his earliest spy thriller. As a matter of fact, uh, it was published in 1932 in England, and it had a different title. It was called Stambul Train, because I think Stam... Bull was the original name for Istanbul. Istanbul, yes. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, he even he even calls the uh, the place Istanbul by its earlier name Constantinople, which it hasn't been called for decades. But uh, oh yeah, that uh, goes anyway, way was, back, Constantinople. Yeah. Yes. Well, Istanbul Train was published in '32 in England, and a year later it was retitled Orient Express when it was published in the USA, and. Uh, it's a great title because it kind of gives it gives off that feeling of um, what I love about these sorts of shows where you can gather a whole bunch of of very strange and disparate characters together 
it's sort of almost like the Western stagecoach where a whole people, all group of people have to get on with each other from all different backgrounds. And, uh, and a lot of them are very uh, shady and, uh, and a lot of them are very guarded and nervous. And uh, you just know that boiling underneath this is a whole lot of uh, intrigue. In fact, uh, I think this, this could be summed up with the, the cliche Balkan intrigue, this story. And uh, it centers around a, a businessman who, um, hooks up with a, uh, an attractive young chorus girl on this uh, European train trip and then ends up running into uh, spies and a Romanian assassin, all because um, he's a, a guy who um, has something that they want. Graham Greene called the this story one of his entertainments. That's how he used to describe certain types of stories he wrote. So it's very colourful. It moves quickly, and the lead of the uh, of the businessman um, was cleaned up for this because uh, in the earlier, the, the real story, um, there was a little uh, hint of anti-Semitism in it uh, because it was a Jewish businessman. Well, William Conrad plays the lead, and it's just a, I guess, a neutral businessman here. Uh, the other thing is that. Um, Norman Macdonald and Bill Robeson uh, wanted Escape to be a very adult-oriented show, and there's also a hint of, uh, I guess, what would be called sexism now, because um, William Conrad makes a, a few comments about the chorus girl in this that uh, are, are almost a bit lustful. Okay, well, yeah, when you said a businessman and a chorus girl, my mind went immediately, wait a minute, are we going to get in trouble with this one, or what is this? So, well, no, no, no. No, it's, it's the old girl. days of radio. We won't get in trouble, but exactly. the, we might get in trouble with yeah. the PC police or the woke police or whoever they are but okay uh, well that's why i love setting it up in context because they're going to say well you know if you're going to complain go back to the year 1949 when this was done because they had to they also had to clean up a little bit of graham green's adult nature even back as far as 1949 and yet there's still hints of it it's so cleverly done again the adaptation for this one was done by uh two writers in, in collaboration, Sheldon Stark and a guy called Walter Newman. And Walter Newman was the guy who wrote the very first episode of Radio's Gunsmoke. Is so that the again, same person that was named E. Jack Newman, or is that somebody different? No, no, different, different. different. As a matter okay. of fact, we were speaking last week about the Spurdvac uh, Presents shows. One time they uh, had a themed thing about the great writers of these half-hour dramas, and they put E. Jack Newman, which is spelled N-E-U-M-A-N, ah. On the same panel as this guy, Walter Brown Newman, N-E-W-M-A-N, and uh, said, we're not related, we're not related. <laughs> but they, but all of those guys knew each other because they were there was a pool of them who were Les Crutchfield, who did the first two that we've done, uh, the first two adaptations from these great literary classics. But this one uh, also features uh, some of our favourite voices, and in, in uh, one of the leading roles in this is a... Uh, a Romanian um, guy who's very um, dangerous and ends up to say he's a hired gun. And uh, that's played by the great Hans Conried doing one of his patented European dialects. Um, and this is really, again, for a little half hour show, they had to compress a lot of the story into such a short time. But uh, you do hear a lot of um, very shady people throughout in this train story. Okay. And uh, so... So I think it's uh, it's yet another example of uh, of how they uh, were able to um, adapt these these uh, great mystery stories into the medium of radio and uh, just keep the audience interest going. Mm. And, uh, Good. Well, very the only thing is that. Yeah, sorry. 
very shady people, a businessman, and a chorus girl. What could go wrong? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In other words, it's Balkan it intrigue. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, from February 19th, 1949, the CBS Radio Network, this is Orient Express, not to be confused with Agatha Christie's murder on the Oregon Orient Express. This is just Orient <laughs> Express on Escape. Yep. Here we go. Fed up with the everyday grind, tired out by the dull routine, you want to get away from it all. We offer you Escape. Escape, transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You're aboard the Orient Express, rushing through the European night bound for Istanbul. And in your compartment with you, a gun pointed at your head, a small, mysterious stranger is about to take your life. Today, we escape from reality to the tense world of Balkan intrigue, as Graham Greene pictured it in his famous novel, Orient Express. My name is Gregory Myatt. In 1932, I had to go to Istanbul on business, and I decided to take the Orient Express. After an uneventful trip across the channel, I found myself at the station in Austin, Belgium, where the Orient Express began. The porter took my bags and overcoat to my first-class compartment while I lingered on the platform. And, inevitably, somebody bumped into me. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's quite all right. I wonder which way are the second-class coaches, please? That way, I think. Uh... Your suitcase looks heavy. May I? Oh, no, thanks. I can manage all right. I always have. Yeah, she had a very nice figure, trim and erect. I wondered whether she was going as far as Istanbul. Orient Express, I made my way down the platform to my coach. But there was a stranger in my compartment going through my overcoat. Young man, you have the wrong compartment. And you have the wrong overcoat. This coat is mine. Also this compartment, number seven. It happens to be number eight. Eight? I have made a mistake. A thousand apologies, sir. <laughs> well, that's all right. Thank you. You are going to Belgrade, perhaps? No, no, I'm for Istanbul. So, allow me. My name is Richard John. How do you do? My name's Myatt, Gregory Myatt. I am grateful you are a fellow countryman. These little mistakes can be so difficult to explain. Fellow countryman? But I'm American. I also. I am a naturalized American all these many years, but the accent remains, hmm? Yes, I suppose it does. Well, we are underway. I will go to my compartment. A most pleasant journey, sir, and again, a thousand apologies. I looked at the landscape for a while and then got out a book and settled on to read. And at that moment, of course, we ran into a string of tunnels, all of them pitch black. I was just about to ring for the guard to ask to have the lights switched on, but the train was crashing to a stop. We were in a tunnel. I got up and groped for the door. Went into the corridor just as the lights went on. And lying on the floor was the girl who had bumped into me. Excuse me, please. One side, please. Excuse me, please. Madame, as conductor, it is my duty to inform you it is not allowed for a passenger to stop the Orient Express. Mr. Myatt, if you will allow me, please. Oh, Mr. John. 
Hadn't we better get a doctor? I am a doctor, Mr. Myatt. Allow me. So, there is nothing wrong with this young lady. She has only fainted. Oh, good, good. Uh, give me a hand, Mr. John. Let's get her into my compartment. Yes, of course you are. Here you are. Drink this. It's brandy. Drink it, young lady. It will help you. Good. I don't know why I fainted. I never did before. When did you last have a decent meal? Yesterday? The day before? I suppose it was the day before. That's my affair. You have no money? No. Um. How would you like to have dinner with me? Well, I... Now, please say yes. I won't say no. Fine, fine. Will you join us, Mr. John? No, I, I prefer to remain in my compartment. As we dined, I learned her name was Carol Musker. She was a chorus girl, and she had a job waiting for her in Istanbul. I felt a bit sorry for her, but, well, more than that, I, I remembered how she felt in my arms when I carried her into my compartment. And I wanted to hold her again. I ate a lot, Mr. Myatt. I hope you can afford the check. <laughs> I think I can. Oh, good. Now, how about uh, breakfast tomorrow? And all the rest of your meals till we reach Istanbul. Mr. Myatt, I hope you don't have any ideas about me. Well, of course I have. You're very attractive. Well, I, I don't know anything about you. For all I know, you're married and have six children. I am not, and I haven't. <laughs> how about you? I have no one. Well, then there's no reason why we shouldn't have ideas about each other, is there? And by the way, my first name's Gregory. Uh, more coffee or dessert? No, thanks. Well, then as soon as I've well, paid Mr. the... Mr. Myatt. Oh, Mr. John. Excuse me, is this yours? Uh, that's my pocketbook. I found it in the corridor outside my compartment. You must have dropped it when you lifted this young lady. He gave me my pocketbook and left the dining car. All my money was there, but one thing I knew, I had not dropped my pocketbook. Mr. John had taken it. Well, Carol and I started through the train. It was about nine o'clock and the lights were already dimmed. And the second-class coaches, people were asleep, sitting up in the crowded compartments. Mr. Myatt, here's my compartment. Thank you for dinner. It's, uh, very early. You have to go in? Oh, I'm tired. Oh, it's too crowded in there for comfortable sleeping. And besides, you never know who's next to you. Oh, but I do. That little fat man, see? His name's Joseph Grunlich. <laughs> he introduced himself. Oh, he did, did he? You're not jealous. No. But what do you know about him? He might be a thief or a bigamist <laughs> Now or... you're being ridiculous. Well, good night, Mr. Myatt. Gregory. Carol. Yes? You might kiss me good night. No one will notice. All right. What? Oh. Oh, young lovers, eh? Oh, oh Mr. Grunlich. If you're going somewhere, sir, why don't you go ahead? Do not be angry, please. I was not spying, Mr. Meyer. How do you know my name? We all heard of the gentleman gallant enough to take Miss Musker to dinner at the good doctor's suggestion. Doctor? What doctor? Mr. John. He's a doctor, is he not? <laughs> now, if you'll please excuse me, I must get some water. I'm quite thirsty. I don't think I like that guy. Carol, how about taking my compartment? Your compartment? <laughs> or I'll, I'll get you another one. We'll speak to the conductor right now, huh? 
first-class compartment for the young lady, monsieur. You must wait until we arrive at Cologne. No tickets are sold aboard the Orient Express. We arrive in Cologne in, uh, let me see, uh, precisely 15 minutes. As we walked up to the first-class ticket window, a woman elbowed us out of the way. Please excuse me. You don't mind if I go first, do you? My train for Paris leaves any minute. Well, in that case, go right ahead. Thank you. Oh, Hans. Hans Bitterschnell. Oh, Fräulein Wauer. One to Paris, Hans. My editor has gotten me a... She was a reporter, apparently. While waiting for her change, her eyes went past me to the Orient Express, and suddenly they widened. I followed her glance. Mr. John was just uh, stepping back into his compartment. Uh, one moment, Hans. Change this ticket for a sleeper on the Orient Express. Make it uh, Belgrade. Oh, you are lucky, Miss Warren. There is only one accommodation on the Orient Express. Oh, good, uh, good. Just a moment there. We were here first. I thought you were going to Paris, Not miss. when I see Dr. Zinner on the Orient Express. Dr. Zinner? The man you were looking at was uh, Richard John. Is that the name he's using now? Oh, uh, Fräulein? Thank you, Hans. Uh, j just a moment there. I'm taking that ticket. Uh, mein Herr, I regret, but the lady asked for it before you did, and she is an old customer. Uh, here, here's the ticket, Miss Warren. Who is it? Gregory Might, Mr. John. I'd like to talk to you for a moment. May we come in? Why, yes. Yes, of course. You are feeling better, Miss Musker? You are getting enough rest? Yes, thanks. That's why we're here. Miss Musker's taking my compartment, and I'm staying in here with you. I wish I could oblige, but I prefer my privacy. Why is that, Dr. Sinner? My name is Richard John. Where did you hear otherwise? From a newspaper reporter who saw you in the station at Cologne. Oh. I don't know what it's all about, and I don't much care, but Miss Musker is going to have my compartment, and I'm going to move into this one with you. Any objections? No. In fact, both of you shall stay here with me. But, oh. What the devil? Gently, Mr. Myatt. Yes, a gun. I am an excellent shot, believe me. Oh, Craig. We shall all stay, I insist. Lock the door, Mr. Myatt. That's fine. Now... Just who are you, Mr. Myatt? Who am I? A police spy here to keep me from getting to Belgrade? No, that's ridiculous. You surely don't expect me to believe your story about some... Mr. Don! Mr. Don! That sounds like the reporter from Cologne. Tell her she has made a mistake. Tell her, Myatt. Uh, go away. You've got the wrong compartment. My name is Myatt. I'm a reporter. Mabel Warren, London Clarion. Myatt, put your arm around Miss Muska. Open the door part way, just enough for her to see both of you. I shall be behind the door, and remember, I have a gun. I... Oh, you're not the man I'm after, are you? My name is Myatt. I haven't the slightest idea where you can find your Mr. John. Well, I'll find him. He's on the Orient Express somewhere. Excuse me for interrupting your, uh... Uh... Excuse me for interrupting you... Good night, Mr. Myatt. Bolt the door, please. Oh, perhaps you really are only an American businessman, Mr. Myatt. In that case, I owe you an explanation. Sit down. He told us a fantastic story. He was a political exile from his own country. He'd been forced to leave five years ago, and now he was going back to lead a rebellion, to overthrow the government by a coup d'etat. Uh, to me, it made very little sense. 
Had it not been for the gun in his hand, I might have laughed so in see, his face. If I am captured before this train gets to Belgrade, I will be executed. Once in Belgrade, however, I am safe. I am very popular. I know the city. There are thousands ready to hide me. And yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, now that you believe we're who we say we are, you could put that gun away. I'll bunk here with you and Miss Muska can go to my compartment. I cannot allow that. Among the passengers on this train are many of my countrymen. Some would be loyal if they knew about me, but others would not. Dr. Zinner, we'll tell no one. I am sure you would not, intentionally, but it might slip out. No, I cannot permit you to leave this compartment. I'm warning you, if I can, I'm going to take that gun away from you. Don't try it, my friend. You're older than I am, Dr. Zinner. You're tired. Just how long can you stay awake? I sat with Carol on one seat. He was across from us, the revolver in his hand. And it got later and later and later. I'm tired, Greg. I'll just close your eyes then, Carol. Are you sleepy, Dr. Zinner? Not yet, Mr. Meyer. Carol was asleep on my shoulder. I fought to keep my eyes open, but I dozed off. And then somehow I came awake. I lifted my head. Dr. Zinner was asleep. I reached across and grabbed the gun. Oh! oh. Greg! It's all right, Carol. I've got it. Well, Dr. Zinner? You are right, sir. I tried to stay awake, but... Stay here, Carol. I'm going to locate the conductor. I'm going to tell him what's been going on. Oh, no, you must not. I shall never get to Belgrade. Greg, they'll kill him. No, we're still outside his country. He won't be hurt. But if you report me to the conductor, I shall be put off the train. Well, in short, no harm done. I'll be back soon, Carol. I left the compartment and started down the corridor. I heard a noise behind me, and as I turned, I caught a glimpse of a shadowy figure, one arm raised high above my head, and then the arm swung down and something hard and heavy crashed against my skull. And I fell into a pool of blackness, and I knew nothing more. In just a moment, we will return to Escape. But first... The blazing billboard for CBS's 10 great Sunday night shows has an especially big blaze of lights near the top of the list. That's where the names of Spike Jones, Jack Benny, and Amos and Andy are found in succession. Spike Jones, Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, the most unusual sequence of top-rating comedy in radio. Don't miss a single second of their 90 non-stop minutes of mirth tomorrow night on CBS's great Sunday Night 10. Amos and Andy and Spike Jones come to you over most of these same CBS stations, and Jack Benny is heard over them all. And now, with our star, Bill Conrad, we return to the second act of Escape and... The Orient Express. How much later it was when I opened my eyes, I don't know. Whoever had hit me had done an expert job. Might have been Zinner, or... Or even Carol. Had no way of knowing. The gun was gone. I dragged myself to my feet and stumbled down the corridor back to compartment number seven, but it was empty. Perhaps they'd moved to my compartment. I hurried to it. No, no, there was nothing in my compartment. My bags were gone, even my overcoat. Inside, I began to feel a strange, unreasoning fear. 
Why was it so quiet? Where were all the other passengers? I went along the entire corridor. I opened every door in the coach. Uh, the com it was completely empty. I felt as, as if I were going crazy. And I lost consciousness again. No. Tell me, what happened to everyone? This coach was full. I got on at Austin. Dozens of people got on at Austin. Oh, no, sir. This coach is empty. And it comes only from Regensburg. Regensburg? Uh -huh. No, it's, it's from Austin, I tell you. Look, compartment eight. This was mine. My bags, my overcoat, they were here, and now they've disappeared. <laughs> yeah, what was that? Oh, that is only the switch engine. We're on the yards outside Vienna. This coach is a deadhead. It was put on at the Orient Express at Regensburg, and now we take it off. Deadhead? You mean... No, it's not my coach at all. The regular coaches are... The Orient Express is in front of us, sir. If you do not want it to leave without you, you had better hurry, sir. Don't worry, I'll make it. The Orient Express was just getting underway when I dropped off the front of the deadhead. I had plenty of time to run up alongside and swing aboard. I made my way through the train to my coach and knocked on the door of Sinners of Compartment. Open up in there. Who is it? Gregory Myatt, open the door. Come in, please. Lying on the berth, bound and gagged, was the reporter, Miss Warren. And standing beside her, gun in hand, was not Dr. Zinner, but Joseph Grundlich. You have a very tough skull, Mr. Myatt. I should have hit you a little harder, no? Where is Carol? Where is Dr. Zinner? Why have you tied up this reporter? No, please, please, not so fast. First, as to Miss Warren, I have tied her to prevent her from interfering with Dr. Zinner. Had I allowed her to file her newspaper story, Dr. Zinner would never get to Belgrade. I happen to be a Narden follower of Dr. Zinner. I was standing watch last night when you dashed into the corridor, Mr. Myatt. You had this very gun in your hand. You had obviously broken away from Dr. Zinner. Fortunately, I had a blackjack. Where is Carol and Dr. Zinner? Do you promise to do nothing to interfere with Dr. Zinner's plan? I promise nothing. No, be reasonable. The Orient Express will soon cross the border into my own country. It makes only one stop at the border for passport identification. After that, you are involved no longer. Why be stubborn? All right, Grundlich. I won't interfere. Uh, Mr. Myatt, I thank you. You may go now. Dr. Zinner and Miss Muscar are next door in your compartment. Dr. Zinner was seated on one berth dozing, and Carol lay on the opposite berth fast asleep, traces of tears on her cheeks. She shivered. I covered her with my overcoat, and she woke up. Gregory. Gregory, I didn't know where you were. Shh. Go back to sleep. Oh, I searched everywhere. I didn't know what to do. And I came back here. Oh, I was so tired. Dr. Zinner made me go to sleep. Everything's all right. In a few hours, everything will be fine. Now, close your eyes and go back to sleep. I left the compartment and went to the second-class coach. With both Carol and Grundlich gone, there was space for me. I slept until I was awakened by a Hungarian passport inspector. 
The train had stopped in a town named Shubotica, just inside the border. I showed him my passport. Then I went to the dining car. The breakfast rush was just starting, so I gave a waiter a pound note and had him get me breakfast for two. And by the time the Orient Express was ten minutes out of Shubotica, we were going down the corridor, the loaded tray tinkling as the waiter followed me. We arrived at my compartment, but it was empty. No sign of Senna, no sign of Carol. A torn piece of paper was tucked under the cuff of my overcoat. It was a note. I have left with Dr. Zinner. I'm afraid this is goodbye. Signed, Carol Musker. Sir, the breakfast. Where shall I put the tray? What? The breakfast. Oh. Take it back. I don't want it. I sat near the window and watched the landscape drift past. My suspicions had been right all along. Dr. Zinner had played me for a fool. And so had Carol. After a while, I became conscious of a tapping sound on the wall of my compartment. It kept on, and suddenly I realized that it was coming from the compartment next to mine, someone's heel banging against the wall. It took only a minute to get next door. It was Miss Warren, the reporter, all tied and gagged. Oh, thank goodness. I thought you'd never hear me. Where's Grundlich? Where are the others? You mean you don't know what's happened? Zinner's going to be executed. Executed? Well, they took him off the train at Subotica. Grundlich arranged the whole thing. He's a government spy. Well, he can't be. Well, he is. They're probably holding a drumhead court-martial on Dr. Zinner back in Subotica this minute. I see. And Carol Musker's a government spy, too? The girl? No. Yeah, she must be. They took her off the train. Well, they had to. They couldn't have any witnesses. Well, what will they do with her? Probably kill her. But... Hey, here, what are you doing? You can't jump out. The train's going 60 at least. I'm going back there. To Subotica? You're insane. Look, there's a small town up ahead. I saw it when I leaned out. Some cars are parked at the station. I saw them. I'm going to pull the emergency cord. Take one of those cars. What can you possibly do in Subotica? I don't know, but I'll do something. Go ahead, Mr. Myatt. I'm going with you. I pulled the emergency cord, and in a matter of seconds, the Orient Express was screeching to a halt right at the station. I flung open the door, and with Miss Warren close behind me, I ran toward the parked cars. Here. You. You. Come here. Do you speak English? A car, gentlemen, a car very cheap. I want to go to Shibotica. It's too far, 50 kilometers. I'll give you 20 pounds. Wait, get in, gentlemen, get in. We were at Shibotica inside of an hour. I had the driver stop just before we got into the center of town and told him to wait. Miss Warren and I started down the main street. Mr. Myatt, look. In the doorway of a small restaurant, his back to us, talking to a chef, was Joseph Grundlich. Just keep walking. All right. Yes, yes, exactly. Try to hear what he's saying. Did you hear what he said? Something about a last meal for two people to be taken to the railroad station. Don't turn your head. Just keep walking. Okay. The railroad station platform was empty, so was the ticket office. But through the window, we could see the waiting room, and beyond it was a closed door to a baggage room. There was a large, old-fashioned key in the lock, and standing beside the door was a soldier with a rifle. That's why they must be in the baggage room. You don't have a gun, I suppose? No. Oh, neither do I. The key's in the lock, if I can get to it without the soldiers noticing. We've got to get the soldier away from the door, Miss Warren. How? Uh, look, do you see that telephone over there in the no, far corner? No. 
If we could somehow get the soldier over to the telephone, his view of the baggage room door would be cut off. Yeah. Look, that'll be your job, Miss Warren. Fine. Go into the waiting room and up to the telephone booth. Smile at the soldier as you go by. Then pretend you're having some trouble with the phone. Appeal to him for help. Right. When he joins you at the phone booth, keep him occupied while I go in and let him out. But he might look around. Just talk to him. Zinner and Carol and I will try to make the car. You'll have to hurry. Good looking that last meal may be here any minute. We'll hurry, all right. Through the grimy window, I watched as Miss Warren crossed the waiting room to the telephone, smiling at the soldier. She left the booth and walked over to him. Couldn't hear what they were saying. She smiled at him again, putting her hand on his arm. They went over to the booth. I took a deep breath and entered the waiting room. I could hear them talking as I started toward the baggage room. Carol. Gregory. Shh, shh. No noise. Dr. Zinner, Carol, go to the station platform. Now, no noise. Come on. What you plan? Follow me. We started back toward the open door that led to the station platform. We went out slowly, not making a sound. Miss Warren was still talking to the soldier, and then suddenly their voices stopped. I glanced back. The soldier's gun had fallen to the floor. He was kissing Miss Warren. We got out to the platform, and I shut the door quietly. All right, follow me. The car's two blocks away. What about well, her? She's a reporter. They won't dare touch her. Now, come on. All right. In a few moments, the station was behind us. The car was only a block away now. And we turned the corner, and walking toward us, not ten feet away, was Joseph Grundlich and a waiter from the restaurant. Before he could collect his wits, I ran at him. <laughs> he crumpled to the ground, then I hit the waiter. All right, run for it! All right! <laughs> Grundlich fired a few shots at us, but hit no one. And then we were in the car, and he fired at us no longer. Goodbye, Dr. Zinner. You sure you won't come along? No, I stay here in Belgrade. I shall be all right now, thanks to you. Goodbye, Mr. Meyer. Goodbye. Hello. You, uh, mind if I sit down? No, not at all. Well, we'll be in Istanbul tomorrow. Mm-hmm, a day late. <laughs> you know, I probably lost that uh, chorus job. <laughs> have any idea what you'll do then? Oh, I think so. I have an idea. Uh, yeah, so have I. A very good idea. Come here. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. 
Today, we have presented transcribed Orient Express by Graham Greene, adapted for radio by Sheldon Stark and Walter Newman, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Gregory Myatt was Bill Conrad. Featured players were Edgar Barrier, Hans Conrad, Gloria Grant, Harry Bartell, Anne Morrison, Jack Crucian, and John Daner. The special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week... You are alone in the steaming jungle with three men. You know that one of them is a desperate criminal, a man you've come here to arrest, but you don't know which one. You'll have to find him before he can save himself by killing you. Next week, we escape with L.G. Blockman's exciting tale of a manhunt, Red Wine. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when, once again, CBS offers you Escape. Looking for more escape drama? There'll be more coming along on CBS tonight, when most of these same CBS stations will bring you the adventures of Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters. They're both regular Saturday night features on CBS. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed immediately by the Let's Pretend program over most of these same CBS network stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, there's that reference to Let's Pretend coming on after Escape yep. again. <laughs> and they did say this evening you get to hear yeah. gangbusters and whatever. So maybe this was broadcast on Saturday morning, which is a bizarre time for a show like this. It is. I don't know what time Let's Pretend was, unless it was late Saturday morning, uh, you know, almost lunchtime. I, I just don't remember. But uh, I do know that uh, a year before this... Uh, was the period when they did 12 episodes of Escape twice in one week. That was um, all to do with the scheduling because uh, the West Coast feed was different from the East Coast. So the East Coast got the show with the full orchestra and three days later, the same cast came back and did the same episode on Saturday morning. That was for 12 weeks and only with an organ backing again. So this could be some ongoing thing with the, the Columbia Network's West Coast scheduling that I know nothing about. Yeah, it's just bizarre, <laughs> but okay. It, it, uh, and we, particularly, as I said, that, that did have a kind of a real uh, slightly sexy adult feel to it. The, even that last scene where the, it, it's almost like uh, the end of uh, North by Northwest where you, you see that, that um, image of the, the train going into the tunnel, which Hitchcock very cheekily put in that movie. Well, well all you could hear was the train <laughs> going. It's like, uh, I guess they decided to just go back to the compartment and start smooching. Well, yeah, and then all the kids show up in 
20 seconds for let's <laughs> pretend okay let's pretend yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's, pre- let's pretend we didn't hear the show that was on just before us yeah <laughs> uh, oh well all right um any stories on hans conried or anything you want to do to wrap this one up I do know that Hans Conried thoroughly enjoyed working on Escape, and so did Harry Bartell. He was in that episode as the train conductor, doing a very European sort of accent like that. And uh, I I had a quote from Harry Bartell on one of his interviews where he said, Escape was one of the greatest joys of radio for me. He said, the stories were always fine classics. The adaptations were virtually always excellent, and the opportunities for the actor were wonderful. So that was his quote, and I think what he meant was that only on a show like Escape, which was always set in far-flung exotic locations, could these actors play roles that they normally didn't play. I mean, normally on the Western shows, Harry Bartell was always just almost his normal Texan voice, you know? Well, yes, and they could get away with doing all these uh, exotic Mm -hmm. accents because it was radio. Nobody could see them. They couldn't tell uh, whether they were from... (laughs) the Middle East or yeah. wherever, they, they just listened to the voice, and as long as the voice matched up with the character, all was good, and, and you couldn't and, tell. And, and Yeah, and also on, on things like Escape, which were, you know, based in reality and, uh, and had to have that uh, definite adult cinematic feel about the stories, the accents and dialects were always done accurately. They weren't um, stereotype, bad, vaudeville-type uh, takes. Um, right, but in so, today's uh, world, they couldn't get away yeah. with this. No, no, no. Now, now they'd be they'd use that silly expression. You're appropriating the culture of that country. I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like um, that's that's why so many actors now, will, you know, spend years of of being trained and end up um, in a TV commercial, you know, playing a a grain of rice in a soup commercial or something, you know, it's like the, the opportunities are dwindling for an actor to be versatile anymore. Yeah. The versa they're, 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 um, PCing all the, the versatility out of everybody. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's, Great. it's just insane. It's right. insane because it really means nothing. It's sort of like, as long as it's good and well done entertainment, um, I can't think of one instance on Escape where any harm was intended and in, uh, by the creators. No, but somebody will come up with some. Don't worry. Yeah, they, yeah, the, they'll manufacture some. <laughs> there's always there's always somebody to come along and spoil the party, as they say. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. we're having quite a party here on the Good Old Days of Radio Show with Keith Scott talking about Escape and all the great uh, character actors that appeared on that show. Um, that was episode number three with uh, Keith. We have uh, seven more episodes of Escape to do over the next seven weeks, and we will be back next week with one that is extremely well-known. Uh, we have actually featured this show before, but a different version of it. Um, right, so we, right. We, we will, we this will, next week's will be the original one. The, the original. The one that started all the... The one that started... Because I think it... it it ended up being done twice more on Escape and then twice on Suspense. 
because of its it was like audience demand it was a sa- the same as sorry wrong number it was yeah. like people said when are you going to rerun that show that great the, <laughs> okay. because it had such an effect on the listeners yeah. well we'll we'll leave it to you listeners to guess which one we're talking about but it isn't difficult if you're familiar with the show escape at all because it's probably the most right. famous episode of all time on escape but anyway we will cover that one next week and the weeks to come will feature more great episodes of escape so you can escape for the next seven weeks okay all right keith scott thank you so much for appearing with us and informing us on all these little details and tidbits of escape that i didn't know anything about always good to have guests that know things i don't know because that makes the show great yeah, I, I, I always enjoy the background and finding facts out about something. And that's, I guess, I was a born researcher or born Sherlock Holmes myself because uh, it just it just gives uh, a lot more uh, enjoyment to it when you know a lot of the background, I think. Yeah, well, th- those of us who started all this in the 70s and 80s, and <laughs> I know that doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was. It was almost yeah, 50 was. years ago it now. It was. Almost 50 <laughs> years ago. And all this, oh, it's scary. all this research that's gone on since has filled in quite a bit of holes in knowledge in vintage radio. And if people like Keith and some of the others who've done a whole lot of research didn't do that, we wouldn't know much about these shows other than we'd have the shows, but there wouldn't be a whole lot to say about them. And um, I like I like doing this because this way we're transporting all this knowledge into the young younger people who are listening to this show right now. As they're being transported to other worlds on escape. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it's like... Uh... <laughs> We're transporting everybody everywhere. Um, All right. Well, Keith, thank you for your appearance here on the Good Old Days Radio Show today. We'll be back next week with you and more great escape. So until then, this is John John Tefteller saying goodbye. (laughs) 